Hello, I'm Simon. And I'm Dan. And this is the Wikicast, a podcast where Wikipedia takes us to a random article and we talk about what we find. Daniel, what are we talking about this week? This week, Simon, we're talking about up and down. Up and down. Up and down. Is that N like just the letter with an apostrophe? Yeah, it's up apostrophe N and down. Is this a, an album? It's not an album. If I say Sega, does that give you a clue? Uh, a, a, a video game. It is indeed a video game. Is this from like the 80s? This sounds like an early one. Yeah, it was first released in 1983. Wow. Oh, so what? A Sega, is that the Genesis? It w- Well, it was first released as an arcade game. Oh, okay. And then later ported to the Atari 2600 uh, the Coleco Vision, Atari 8-bit family, and then finally Commodore 64. When was the last time you think you played an arcade game? Oh, gosh. I have, you know what? I have absolutely no idea. I don't think I could even guess. It's got to be a couple, like a, over a year for me. I felt, I felt like the pandemic probably wasn't very kind to arcade machines. Yeah. Because I used to be one of those kids. It was like my idea, my perfect Sunday. Mm-hmm. When I was a teenager, there was like um, a cinema at Longwell Green, just outside of Bristol, for those readers at home who live locally. There was like a, a, a cinema, and then next to it was a bowlplex. And what you do in an ideal world would be like go see a film, and then, because it would be really decadent to do more than one of these in a day, mm. then go bowling. And at the bowling alley, they had the arcade machines. And... God knows how much money I wasted on those things. Oh, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, was it wasted if you enjoyed yourself, though? I'm not quite sure if it was commensurate to the no. amount of money I spent, but... <laughs> and I suppose also, when you think about the kind of games that they were, the money that was wasted was pretty insignificant, right? I'm rem- I remember sort of like the 2 p two pence piece slot. Oh! Of, the, the, the sort of moving shelf ones. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe you'd, you'd exchange, I don't know, maybe three or four quid for for a load of tokens to enable you to play on the game. So, you know, it's it wasn't a sort of serious money sink, you know? I mean, I mean for me, I remember spending a pound a time on things like Time Crisis 2, Time Crisis 3, House of, House of the Dead, there was a Jurassic Park 1. I don't know. Like, I tended to, to, to go towards the shooter games, I have to admit. Mm. Yeah, I definitely didn't. <laughs> you, you were more of the uh, Penny Arcade you know machines yeah penny arcade games i remember i enjoyed the dance ones i'm sorry the dance ones just dance with like the map yeah i loved that that was great <laughs> that was the earliest instance of me realizing realizing my kennedy <laughs> yes it was only a matter of time until it came it up it was only a matter of time okay we'll hold on to most of the barbie discussion for critics corner yes. we gotta hold yes. hold the ship together <laughs> Because we both, so we should probably mention we uh, met up uh, last weekend. We did last, we uh, did. in fact, exactly a week ago. We both went to our friend Hugo Wickman's house party, mm. and before that, we went and watched Barbie together. And mm. the, the the short review is, I think we both loved it. It was absolutely amazing. But yes, I feel like we're going to dive into this. Yeah, well, well there, there you go. There's a hook for you to keep listening to the podcast. 100%. But what you're saying is you you probably haven't played Up and Down. I can say with confidence that I haven't played Up and, up and Down. It was, as I say, first released in 1983 as an arcade game and later ported to other Sega um, consoles, but in Up and Down, the player drives a car forward and backward along a branching, vertically scrolling track, collecting flags and jumping on other cars to destroy them. Oh! It's a sort of pseudo-3D perspective. You um, typically control a, 
apparently a purple dune buggy that resembles a Volkswagen Beetle. <laughs> when I think of driving games, I immediately, of course, think of a Beetle. To complete a round, the player must collect 10 coloured flags by running over them with the buggy. If the player passes by a flag without picking it up, it will appear again later in the round. The, road feature, um, the roads feature inclines and descents, which is mightily impressive seeing as it's two-dimensional, mm-hmm. uh, that affect the buggy's speed and bridges that must be jumped. A player loses a turn whenever the buggy either collides with another vehicle without jumping on it or jumps off the road and into the grass or water. Okay, you know what? We, we do this at the end of the show normally, but I am going to put a request in the show right here at the start. Okay, you can, dear reader, you can do this whilst you're listening to the rest of the show. I want you to email in with your favourite arcade game. Mm from when you were younger because I, at least I have formed quite strong attachments to like certain ones that I would see every time I went to an arcade so like I already mentioned Time Crisis Simpsons um oh god what was the name of the, the taxi one from the, the Simpsons did was that Hit and Run yes I loved that there was Crazy Taxi was another driver's one but these are the UK ones I want to hear from around the world you yes you listening at home right now no matter who no matter whether you've emailed into the show before I want to open an inbox full of messages about our people's favourite arcade games and it can be a one line email I don't mind just I'm going to put that out there right now and in that spirit Dan what what would you say was your favourite Dan Oh gosh, I don't know. I mean, I was a I unsurprisingly, I loved the classics, okay? I liked I liked Pac-Man. I liked oh, wow. Space Invaders. Real classics. I was a real sucker for a bit of Tetris, you know. Was it, was this something you would play in an arcade? Because when I played Pac-Man, it was in a pub. There was like a pub that had a retro games table. I I certainly, I mean, I suppose my most recent memory of playing an arcade game is I would have probably have been, I don't know, 13, 12 or 13. And I'm fairly sure it was a Mortal Kombat arcade game. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. I I never got into the Street Fighter, like Mortal Kombat kind of things. Yeah, that that, that sort of vibe. I also love a, I, I mean, I love a game of pinball, but we're getting pretty retro there. How about you? Do you have like a clear, clear, absolute solid gold favorite the, the one that immediately jumps to mind is, is time crisis 2 mm-hmm. which you almost you almost certainly played it's the it's the one where you press on the pedal in order to shoot and then when you took your foot off the pedal you went into cover and the opening scene was in a, a like a hotel room and most of the enemies couldn't do jack to you but mm. there was like the ones that were dressed in red were like they're like quick time events basically like you just had to duck and dodge their bullets uh, and then you went out onto the street and it was in like Venice, I think. It was like in like an Italian city. And nobody ever, I don't think, I, I refuse to believe that anybody ever beat the game. Nobody ever actually saw yeah. the end of it. Everyone played the first few levels over and over until they died. But that was that was the one that stuck out for me, for sure. They're such sort of bastions of nostalgia, aren't they? Oh, yeah. A classic arcade. I mean, wow. But is that something that like the next generation of kids, you know, what are, are kids going forward going to be nostalgic for... Angry Birds and Jungle Runner and stuff like that, you know? Like, are they going to be nostalgic for mobile apps rather than physical arcade spaces? Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, I want to go, all I'm thinking about now is wanting to go to an old arcade. That'd be amazing. That would be pretty great, to be fair. But I, I have to admit, you having said a 2P machine type thing, I haven't played one of those for years. That was something that my mum used to really enjoy. And when we went on holiday, I used to go to like arcades with her to do that. I really want to do that now. Yeah. I mean, those games were like crack. Oh, right. God, yeah. I mean, they were so addictive and you couldn't stop. So I've also just come across, we're going to, we're going to jump back to up and down briefly because there's a, there's a musical comment 
about the game, which I feel like given our interest in music would be would be apt to discuss. Okay. And it's in relation to the Atari 2600 port of the game. Right. So Sega released a port for the RE2600 in 1984 with, and I quote, jarring background music. <laughs> According to Game Sound, an introduction to the history, theory and practice of video game music and sound design by Karen Collins, the arcade version's bluesy F-sharp minor groove was transformed into, again, direct quote, a very unsettling version based in C minor with a flattened melodic second because of limitations of the 2600 sound hardware. So basically it was this thing was like, it sounded like a nightmare. Oh, wow. Oh, the, the, like yeah. the hardware limitations limited uh, like the musical scope. Yeah. That's fine. Tell you what, that, but what was the title of that book again? Game Sound, An Introduction to the History Theory and Practice of Video Game Music and Sound Design. See, that I bet would be fascinating. Yeah, I, I, it would. I know, for example, it, and it, a lot of it in those days was bound up to the hardware limitations, like fitting all of the information on a cartridge or a disc and like... Pokemon, for example, the original generation of Pokemon, some of the cries of Pokemon are just like other Pokemon's cries but reversed or played yeah. slowly and things like that. So you, you only had one sound, but you got like, I don't know, four Pokemon's worth of of cry out of it, which is mm. super cool to me. Yeah, amazing. I'd genuinely like to read that book. We'll put a link in the show notes yes. to a copy. If anybody's interested, because we, we, we know full well that we've got many and varied talented musicians, composers wonderful artsy folk who listen to this uh, this thing that we do and if that if it if it interests you game sound an introduction to the history theory and practice of video game music and sound design by karen collins yeah absolutely published in 2008 now i do have to say dan so we we, we need to, we, i think we do actually have a date in the diary for you coming up and we we're going to film some stuff including us going through our mailbag so we do have a bunch of things which people have mm. very kindly sent to our p.o box I think we'll probably be doing that quite soon. So if people would like to send us stuff, then I'll, I'll give you the address in just a second. But one of the things that we do actually have is someone has sent us a book Ooh. and I don't know what it is. I haven't. I deliberately haven't opened anything that we've been sent, but I've been periodically going in and, and terrified of the post office finding me annoying for like, oh, look, look at this guy. He's, you know, he's been leaving stuff in the post box for weeks. I don't want to be that guy. Mm. So I've been checking from time to time. And um, yeah, somebody sent us a book. Gosh. So whoever that was, we, we've got it. Don't worry, we'll be opening it quite, yeah. quite soon. But um, I'm very interested to see what that's going to be. Oh, absolutely. This is exciting. If you would like to send us a copy of a book about the history of video game sound design, our PO box is Tired Bear Films. Well, Wikicast Care of Tired Bear Films. PO box 5598 Bath Bravo Alpha 1 Zero Delta Zulu United Kingdom. And like I say, you probably want to do that quite quickly because we've had some very, you know, we've had letters and postcards and a, a parcel from all over, but it'd be fantastic to have more. Mm, absolutely. And also if we could have a few extra things in the post box, that'd be great. But yeah, sorry, we, we really went down um, the rabbit hole on that one. So, so hang on, can you tell me anything more about, right, okay, actually, you know what, what I specifically want to know, Dan, is the person who made Up and Down, what else did they go on to mm -hmm. do in the games industry? So as far as the publisher goes, it's listed as Sega, but I believe the the more specific Bally Midway is a separate company that's now known as Midway Games Incorporated. Okay. And uh, let's see what they arcade games. What did they do? Midway's breakthrough success came in 1978 with the licensing and distribution of Taito's seminal arcade game Space Invaders. This was followed by Midway's licensing and distributing Namco's Pac-Man. And it's so so it's a well-known game 
Yeah. Developer, publisher, distributor. Midway's franchises included Mortal Kombat, Rampage, Spy Hunter, NBA Jam, Cruisin, and NFL Blitz. NFL Blitz, did that that went on to be something big, didn't it? Or did that become Madden? Potentially. Or something I... like that? I, I, I recognise that name, I swear. Yeah. After Midway's bankruptcy filing in 2009, EA Sports, publisher of the popular NFL simulation series Madden NFL, right. acquired the rights to NFL Blitz and the uh, intellectual property. Ah. So I guess it sort of merged, right? Right, I see. Mm. Like, that early history of games is super interesting to me. Like, it was such a Wild West. Absolutely. And, like, nobody really knew what the, the plan was and, you know, where the industry was going and the rules were just being... It was, I always think of that scene in Wallace and Gromit where Gromit's, like, placing the track in front of the train and just about keeping, oh, yes, yeah. you know, pace with it. That's, that's kind of what I imagine working in, a, in that industry felt like. I suppose it's the same with any emergent mm. industry. Like, YouTube in... 2006 if you were a, you know a youtuber you were like well what does this job look like nobody knows mm. it's it's up to us no future but the one we make <laughs> an interesting story i did learn the other day was do you remember peter molyneux yes who produced well he did a load of games but goddess most notably right yeah that was the, his ios game and he did populous and black and white and fable and stuff like that but he mm. I, I was reading his wiki the other day and i can't remember why i was but he created his first game which was like a business simulation game where he expected to sell really well mm. and he sold two copies one of which he's pretty sure with his mum and he like left games design and started this this separate company that was meant to be exporting and i've got it in front of me now exporting baked beans to the middle east wow and it had a very it had a it was called taurus as in the bull taurus mm -hmm. however commodore the computer company mistook it for taurus meaning like a, a donut geometric shape, which was a really established company that produced software. And so they offered to send him, oh, here's free some free computers to help you with, you know, with your software development. And he basically was like, well, if I admit that I'm exporting baked beans, I, uh, I don't get free computers. So I guess I'm now a software company. Amazing. And that was how we kind of went into um, making games with, I think it was Bullfrog was his, his like, company at the time but yeah how wild is that that is insane <laughs> but yeah sorry yeah basically that that here period of history i think i find the early history of anything like any subject super interesting mm. like enterprise the star trek series is to me kind of one of the most interesting ones because it's right at the start of like humans leaving the solar system and going out and exploring and no one knows what the rules are yet and like yes I guess that's just a thing that I find. And in the same, I don't know if you're the same as me, but like when you start playing like a city builder game or Age of Empires or Civ or whatever it is, and like those early half hour or whatever it is when you're, I don't know, just putting down the big basic blocks, I find the most interesting part. Mm, yeah, it's that first big step, isn't it? Is there something in all humans that just want to be pioneers and entrepreneurs? I bet there is. I mean, I, I'm sure... You know, if if we've got any psychologists, I'm sure we, well, I know for a fact we have some listening. I'm sure there is an explanation as to the power and drive of human endeavor, right? And, and, and that as a driving force and wanting to explore. Want to do something new. Yeah. Wanting to do something that no one else has done before. But I don't know if that's universal. Is that is that something that only certain people feel? Because like, I don't know. That can't be good for the survival of the species if everyone is constantly wanting to do something new. Like, there's got to be someone who wants to export baked beans to the Middle East. <laughs> like, that person yeah. has to exist. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's an interesting question, isn't it? 
one of many I'm sure we'll pose on this podcast, because we, we do oh, actually have, yeah. have quite a lot to talk about this week. So I, I propose, Dan, that we, we take a hop, skip and a jump over into your choral piece of the week and talk a bit about some music. Let's do it. And this will be my piece of the week. Drum roll, please. So once again, unsurprisingly, owing to London job, rat race, etc., etc., I haven't been doing as much singing as I would like. Yeah. However, I'm going to use this opportunity to highlight, rather than a piece, I want to highlight an album that I've been listening to. Oh, right, yeah. It's music that you're very familiar with, I'm sure, but the standard of musicianship and quality and just, I think, I suppose, the, yeah, the word, I guess, would have to be electrifying um it's an album called bird b-y-r-d the three masses um semicolon arviverum corpus it was recorded in 20 or rather released in 2014 by westminster cathedral choir under martin baker the former director of music and it is astonishing it's absolutely astonishing Mm. it's music that I know very well, you know, the four-part, five-part, and three-part masses, along with Bird's Arviverum Corpus, which, you know, is a is a certifiable banger. Yeah. But the calibre of performance is, is just remarkable. I mean, the choristers and their sound is awe-inspiring, but the general sense of ensemble, and I think for me, the most powerful aspect of of the performance is the is the sort of tactus in, in this polyphony. The tactus. Yeah. I'm trying to think of a way of sort of explaining this. It's like the sort of pulse. It's like a succulence, but with spines. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's like the, the internal pulse and meter, I guess, within a piece. And what makes polyphonic music so powerful is that tactus needs to, or I think, you know, it's it's really powerful and effective when it more or less stays the same throughout a piece. And you have to be very, very strict and very, very aware of that sort of internal pulse right it's just amazing i mean i i listen to it and you know for example i was listening to the gloria and in the in the mass for five voices and it just ticks along in the most extraordinary way and you get this sensation of sort of music just this ebb and flow and music washing over you and and Mm. it's amazing and and there's just so many moments of real deep musicianship and there's bags of character and colour and it's electrifying to uh, particularly and I think probably more apparent to me because I know the music so well mm. all of these little bits of detail and, and sort of artistic choices that Martin has made yeah they astound me it's seriously thrilling so Bird the Three Masses by Westminster Cathedral Choir under Martin Baker 2014 I would urge everyone to have a listen to even if you haven't listened to polyphonic music or sacred music certainly before this is a really good start it's just electrifying music i would equally like to recommend that because it it, it might be my favorite genre of music yeah it's i i absolutely adore bird stuff yeah yeah no i can't really add anything more to that i just think i think danny did a great job excellent thanks a plus oh, thanks man that's so kind speaking of I think you did a fantastic job at Hugo's party. We have photographic evidence. Yeah, thank you for this. <laughs> you you git. I can't believe I can't believe it took me this long to realize that you know your little little games you were playing. And I hope well, I'm sure that members of the readership will know exactly what Simon's talking about. If you don't follow us on Instagram, you ought to follow us on Instagram. You can find us 
at the Wikicast, unsurprisingly. All lowercase, all one word. Simon thought it would be a jolly fun idea to take photos of me. And I thought he was just doing this because he wanted to preserve the memories. And I suppose in a way you were wanting to do that. What I hadn't realised was they were being uploaded immediately onto the Wikicast Instagram. And as the photos go through, and there's a good sort of, I think, five of them. There's five of them, yeah. The, the, the sort of caption ends with, I wonder when he'll notice that I'm doing this. And it goes on and on and on. And it wasn't until I think very, very late that night or possibly early in the morning, the following morning. I think it was the following morning. <laughs> yeah, that I suddenly realised this had happened. And uh, well, yes, I'm, I'm giving my best sort of... We'd all gone to see, as we alluded to earlier, the Barbie film earlier that evening. Yeah. Which we will talk about shortly, which was amazing. But everyone sort of had made a concerted effort to wear something Barbie-ish. So all of the guys were in, you know, Hugo marvellously had a pair of bright pink chinos and a, and a fairly pink floral shirt the rest of us were in you know pink pink shirts and i had a little necktie a thing little ascot on it, yeah. was, it was great fun yeah you did look like ken the, the, the overall effect was tremendous kenergy i'm very pleased to hear you say that shall we i think we've gone long enough haven't we we need to talk about barbie we do need to talk about barbie i just want to draw attention to i, I i'm such a huge fan of over the course of the day you have a costume change in very Ken style from your Harry Potter pyjamas mm. to your Ken outfit. And it's the final <laughs> it's the final picture of you having, you know, we, we'd we spent, you said you haven't done very, as much singing as you'd like. We'd, we'd spent hours singing around their piano. Doing this is true. Various pieces true. from musical theatre and Handel's Messiah. There was one point where I, I found myself around the piano. I just left the sauna. I was dripping with sweat because I heard the people were singing the messiah i sort of run into the room take a proffered coffee of messiah and then join the i don't know 20 people surrounding this piano with our friend michael playing mm. and everybody in various stages of kind of undress party dress ken dress and you know the picture i took of you was i think just after this <laughs> yes i think it probably was you look I, rumpled would probably be the word that I would use. Your ascot's gone. Yeah. We were all suitably inebriated, weren't we? Yeah. And hoarse after screaming. You look like you've crawled through a musical hedge. Yes. You've had a great time and you've been a little bit rumpled by the experience. Truly spectacular. And you were just, you were, you were vibing. And then it was the following morning, you were like, you bastard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I, can't believe you've, I can't believe you've done this. But yes, anyway, Barbie. Tell me your thoughts about the Barbie film, Dan. I absolutely loved it. Yeah. I thought it was really excellent. I thought the music was superb. I thought the story, I actually found the story very compelling. I thought Greta Gerwig's vision came to life beautifully. I would have liked to have seen more of Alan, to be fair. I think yeah, they, they I could thought have done that. More. Yes. It was a bit of a, that, that didn't quite work. And I suppose if I was to be really, really critical, I thought the sort of pacing in the first half of the film versus the second didn't, quite sit well with me and my only other complaint is that they could have cast will ferrell's character better yes i agree with you yeah they did not need him in it you know i don't know i find him really really hard to engage with i can't take him seriously i just find him very annoying mm. so yeah but it was great and if you haven't seen it you must i've been playing the soundtrack same sort of constantly yeah it's so good yeah it's phenomenal it's a really wonderful fun film with i think uh, you know moments of real sort of serious social commentary actually it's great i think i i mean i i have described it as a masterpiece i really really do think 
It's it's quite an extraordinary piece of feminist cinema, for one thing. I think that there's so many interesting sort of interpretations and takes. I mean, my, certainly my takeaway from the film was, we should, let's agree that we won't do spoilers. Sure. But I think by the end of the film, if you imagine that the genders were totally inverted in Barbie land, that we were somewhere like the 1960s, or at least that was what I took away from it. Mm-hmm. It was like the Kens had achieved proto, you know, like early stage Kenanism. You know, like their version of yeah. feminism. Because what I was what I was watching the film thinking was, what happens if he flips the genders? Would you be able to make this film? And then I thought, I'm pretty sure that somebody in the 60s has probably made this film, but about, you know, men being suppressed. And, oh, wouldn't it be funny if women, you know, ruled everything yeah. kind of thing. But, um, you know, as a, as a sort of a feminist viewing of it, I thought it was really interesting and in how you can interpret the different roles. I also think it was very interesting in the same vein as, like, Hail Caesar, or I suppose the original film, you know, productions from sort of the 50s, where you had these vast created worlds and these sets mm. where everything was this this fantastical landscape, which, you know, in those historical pictures might be, I don't know, Cleopatra. It was this, this multi-million dollar recreation of ancient Egypt, whereas in this case it was Barbie land. And it was this hyper-reality of everything being plastic and fantastic. And I thought the production design and the production elements in general is in I thought the editing was fantastic. I thought the musical numbers, like the dance choreography, like the fact that there was a Ken dance number, yeah. I thought was amazing. I, I thought that the the music, as you've already mentioned, I actually couldn't sleep the other day because I couldn't get the Ken song out of my head. Mm. It's riddled with earworms, isn't it? It the really whole, the is. Whole, the whole picture. I mean, it's it's just fantastic. I absolutely loved it. And I think it's the... Is it the best Ryan Gosling we've ever got on screen, is my question to you. Oh, gosh, I don't know. I mean, he really was phenomenal. I think the thing that's so interesting about it, about the film, is that you could, if you wanted, you could spend a lot of time and do a real deep dive mm. into any element of the of, of, of the film. You know, you could you could critique it heavily and have, I'm sure, fascinating discussions from a point of purely, like, I don't know, cinematography. But talking about the film's story and essence and message i'm sure that there is an awful lot to unpack and i'm sure you could read into a lot too now whether that whether that's intended or not i don't know i think one thing that's helpful is greta gerwig's been pretty clear with her thoughts on how she'd like this film to be interpreted and how mm. you know what what, it, what it's about and what it's what purpose it's meant to serve and but i would be i'm sure that most of the readership by the time that this podcast is released will have seen the film because you've all got extraordinary taste so why why wouldn't you mm. but i would love we've we've already had a call to arms today but i would I can't wait to read some of the readership's responses to this. Yes, please, please do send us your thoughts. And this extends actually to, and I'm only going to mention it briefly because I haven't seen it yet and I really want to, Oppenheimer. Yes, so I want. I did want to talk about Oppenheimer actually because I went to see it with my wife the other day. Mm. I do want to briefly address, because I think I may actually end up making a quick video about Barbie. I think something that the film does... Uh, very intentionally, and I don't think it does it... What am I trying to say here? I'm trying to say that I understand why it's done it, but it doesn't get away with it, is that it is a film about consumerism at the end of the day. And I think it's very interesting how much flexibility Mattel 
gave Greta Gerwig to have Mattel in the film and portray the leadership as A, male and B, incompetent. Yes. That I think they were trying to give themselves a almost like plausible deniability. It's like, you know, look, we, we, we're aware of what we're doing. Look, all that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, you know, you're still engaging with this, you know, you're still dealing with this system that is commodifying feminism. Yes. And also, from my climate perspective like you're you're producing plastic (laughs) like this is a film that i cannot universally hail because it's trying to sell small plastic dolls Mm -hmm. and i suppose you could argue is about consumerism in general you know like the whole thing about buy more things buy more clothes which is not good it's the reason why we're in this situation with the planet but what i will say is to people who might criticize me for enjoying it let me have a tiny bit of enrichment in my cage like let me have a, a, a little treat for myself. I will have a nice, fun, pink film that I uh, has an amazing soundtrack and I think is trying to do interesting social commentary. But, yeah, you know, whatever. But anyway, yes, Oppenheimer, I thought was inferior to Barbie, I will say. I think if you were going to double feature it, you should see Oppenheimer first. Yeah. Because it is... <laughs> ends on quite a downer i don't think it's much of a, i yes. don't think it's a spoiler to say no i'm sure i do think it's too long by quite a way yeah it's three hours is that right it's three hours and i will tell you now the film doesn't end with the successful trinity test hmm. uh, there's actually a whole umbrella or envelope or whatever insert your choice of language here of the whole story right that goes before and after the trinity test and i think it works but I think it, they could shave 20 minutes off the running time of the film. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is I read the wiki afterwards. Uh, Christopher Nolan made it after reading a book called American Prometheus, which was a biography of Oppenheimer. And it did have the vibe of... Oh, given to... Do you know who it was given to him by? No. Robert Patterson. Really? On the set of Tenet, I guess. Yeah, after having shot Tenet, I'm sure. Yeah, I assume, I'm, ah. I'm sure I read that. Interesting. Okay. But it did it did have the vibe of I'm going to try and take this book which I'm sure is a very interesting book and works in a book and try to make it into a film. Mm-hmm. But it was a bit like I can't tell if it was too much to try and fit into one film or if it was just kind of padded by too many details if that makes any kind of sense. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think I think it I have to admit you sort of granular in a from a point of narrative construction. Yeah, like as soon as you're getting into like Senate confirmation hearings and mm. hearing from witnesses, I'm a bit like mm, don't know if this is like I showed that there is a place in the film for that, but I don't know. I was unconvinced. I think having seen the film, I would have liked to have read the book first. So, I maybe if people have lots of time, I'd suggest reading American Prometheus first Mm. the other thing i will say is i thought the sound mixing was pretty terrible in parts yeah this isn't uncommon with nolan's work though yeah there's just like a lot of music that goes on underneath the discussion it's just a bit like and it's not actually hans zimmer i thought it was i think it's ludwig goranson who has just this like pulsing sound and it means that because it's just always there at least for the first half of the film i think it's pretty much constant like it's quite dreamlike. Like the film just has this momentum and it really kind of carries you away with it, mm-hmm. which isn't altogether unpleasant. Like oh, there's that quote, and I cannot remember who originally said it, about films being shared hallucinations or shared dreams. That is what it feels like. And it turns into a bit of a nightmare. But it, well, it I think it was too long to sustain that vibe for me personally. I think it was good. And Pixel Wife actually enjoyed it more than Barbie which I thought was interesting. Mm. But she married me, so she's got terrible taste. So, you know, it's not everybody, It's not everybody. you know, would agree with me, but I think it was a solid effort 
I'd say it was like a, um, I don't know, six and a half, seven out of ten. Whereas I'd say Barbie was like a nine to nine and a half out of ten. Difficult to say after just one viewing. Yeah, I'm sure. Hey, still in Critics Corner, and you mentioned Senate hearings. Mm-hmm. I listened to the full Senate subcommittee hearing on UAPs the other day. On UFOs. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Now, okay, I, I, forgive me for being sceptical about this, but as I understand it, no actual evidence was provided. This is on the testimony of three servicemen yeah. and, or service people? Yes. Forgive me for being cynical. <laughs> evidence not provided because it's currently the levels of classification are ludicrously high. And the whole reason that the Senate were having this hearing is to try and give Senate members access to this and get to a point where at some point, if it's true that there are all of these secret programs and they are testing on, you know, they are trying to back engineer crashed yeah. UAP transports and, and ships and things, right? If this is true, then... Huge if true. I will say that, yeah. Yeah, they are pushing for transparency. But having said that, and having been so sceptical about, about it, particularly when there's no hard evidence actually shown, it's all testimony, right? I, I mean, and to be fair, you know, these people are swearing under oath that they are going to tell the whole truth. And no one has ever lied under oath before. Well, exactly. So it's basically, I mean, it's inscrutable. It's fascinating. And it's exciting to hear, even, you know, and I don't, you know, I, I think I've got a pretty good nose for bull****, right? I'm not for a second thinking like, oh, well, that's it. That's good enough for me. I don't, you know, that I don't need any evidence. I'm going to believe it immediately. Mm. But it, it's, it's fascinating what these people are saying, what these people are alleging. The consistencies across their respective testimonies are surprising. And I suppose, I don't know, it, I kind of do think like, to, you know, what do they have to gain to make up all of this stuff to such incredible detail and put themselves through, like they've lost jobs. They've lost their wives you know, because they're white, you know, one chat was talking about how his wife thought he was having an affair because he was working on this stuff. And she ended up having, having an affair, you know, with a colleague because she thought he was cheating on him because he was going away at random times in the night and he couldn't talk about what he was talking, you know. I don't know. It's very interesting. And I, and I, I do think that it's exciting stuff to hear. And hopefully this hearing is just the start of what may be one of you know the largest most significant announcement in human history here's hoping right here's hoping don't get me wrong i would love it if something exciting came out of this i'm very much of the opinion that you know if we discovered alien life and there's the arthur c clark quote that either humans are alone in the universe or we are not and both mm -hmm. possibilities are equally terrifying yes I don't think it has to be. I think I think if there were, uh, if there was intelligent life that was capable of traveling here, and for some reason hasn't, you know, hasn't somehow made contact with you know larger numbers of people, that'd be very exciting. I am, I suppose, at the end of the day, a scientist, and scientists have to be skeptical. Yes, uh, totally. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence, and I suppose the cynic in me says, okay, there's all this attention on this story. What are people not talking about? And, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff to do. Well, you could say just with climate alone, there's a whole lot of stuff happening at the moment. And a cynic would say that this stuff is just a distraction. You know, it's a dead cat on the table. Totally. Just as the Nigel Farage case is in the UK. Yes. I want to go on the record, Dan. I f***ing hate Nigel Farage. I hate yes. everything about this f***ing case with his f***ing bank account getting f***ing 
people fired because the f***ing failure of a politician who tried to break into politics three f***ing times and couldn't a single f***ing time somehow pulls the biggest f***ing tantrum of all time and manages to get several people to lose their jobs. And people are still talking about it. This man is a nothing. There are olives that are more significant than this man because those olives might actually choke somebody important and change the course of history. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to get that on the record. <laughs> I mean, it's Julie, uh, the, the, the court clerk will... Um... That's me. I'm the court clerk. Yeah. Yes, that is, that is you, yeah. If you want to write that down... Oh, uh, yeah, sorry. I'll just, I'll just write down what I said. Yeah, brilliant. Oh, before we leave Critics Corner... Yes. I wanted to make two book recommendations. I've been really into Ooh. reading at the moment. Yes. And I finished, I think I mentioned it on the show before, a book called The Life and Death of St Kilda by Tom Steele, which is about the evacuation of St Kilda, which was is a, an archipelago off the west coast of Scotland. It's about 120 miles off the coast, I think. And like the most isolated part of the UK, there was a population there for at least 2,000 years that never got more than a, like 200 people. Uh, and eventually, in 1933, the remaining inhabitants decided to leave and the book's basically about what brought that on and what the effects Mm. were of the people who lived there so they were removed from the island by the government and jobs were found for them on a forestry like you know in in an estate but these people uh, went to work for a forestry having never seen a tree in their life like there were no trees on the islands wow and also it was a society where they didn't use money and so a large part of the book is sort of them I guess you could say being corrupted by mainlanders coming and introducing the concept of money and then them having to, after leaving the islands, work for money and then spend that money on other things rather than just ensuring their own survival. Mm. And it's really, really interesting book. It's quite tragic, but fascinating. It's one I, you kind of couldn't stop reading. So mm. would recommend. I'll leave a link to both of these books in the uh, description. And I'm currently about halfway through and really enjoying Anarchy, I think it's The Anarchy, actually, which is by William Dalrymple. Yes, The Anarchy, The Relentless Rise of the East India Company, which is about the fact that a company which was headquartered in London in an office that was something like five windows wide was able to take Mm. over a a subcontinent. And Mm. how that happened and the really interesting political machinations that happened in the mid-18th century, it's incredibly well-written. Like... You know, you just get these, especially non-fiction books, where you're like in awe of how concise and precise the prose is, like the mm. choice of words and sentences. Like, I've had it with this book, I had it with The Emperor of All Maladies, which is the biography of cancer. I, I, I don't know, do you know what I mean? I don't know if you've had this with non-fiction before. Yeah, I think I have. I mean, I'm probably reading Sapiens and then maybe SPQR. SPQR, another excellent example, yes. Getting totally lost yeah, amazing, amazing. And it's a thrilling feeling, particularly, certainly for me, because I tend to read more fiction than I do non-fiction. Mm. So to, to find myself responding in such a way to a genre or style of, of prose that I wouldn't typically associate with, um, is, yeah, it's amazing. Oh, I've just realised something, by the way, Dan. One more thing before we mm. leave Critics Corner, because since we last recorded, mm. I have announced and sold out of tickets for Not ClarkCon. Simon PsychomCon is a thing. I'm doing this event in Bath and we we should probably make a statement saying, unfortunately, you can't be there. I know. I'm so gutted. I can't be. I'm afraid I'm in, I think I'm in Provence. Yeah. Yeah. Big sad though. But it's going to be amazing. 
It will, and I, I'm just so sorry that if people if people were hoping because with the original plan that I had was for us to do a live Wikicast episode and record, maybe we could get people in the audience as part of it. But unfortunately, Dan is in France, um, so that won't happen. But if we do, an- if I end up doing another one of these events, which based on the response so far, it looks like it might happen. I might end up doing one somewhere up north, like. I don't know, Manchester. Yeah, absolutely. We could absolutely do that. But I just thought it would be worth saying on record, regrettably, Dan isn't going to be there. But hopefully in the future. Yes. So probably should have put that in another part of the show. But let's face it, we've never been best known for our organisational skills. Speaking of organisational skills, I think we've got people to thank. Oh, he's good. He's so good. Ooh, slick. Top lot. So as I alluded to in that incredibly professional segue, we find ourselves in Patreon Corner, our time in the podcast where we can say an enormous thank you to those who support us on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash the Wikicast. Without your support, this podcast simply wouldn't exist. Uh, We wouldn't have uh, money to spend on our hosting, which actually costs quite a bit, particularly as we are now, I believe, on our 120th episode. 120. Which is crazy. I mean, that's really crazy. We do know that we can stop whenever we want. (laughs) Yeah, 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 of course. We don't have a problem. We we can stop whenever we want. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I just just don't want to stop. I'm going to be completely transparent. We don't do this for money. (laughs) This is is absolutely not a project that is operating for profit. No, no, absolutely not. But if it wasn't for the patrons, we couldn't do it at all. Yeah, um, and we wouldn't be able to employ our amazing editor, Fergus. Love you, Fergus. Amazing work. Give yourself a round of applause, Fergus. And hopefully, um, hopefully we'll, you know, we'll, we'll be able to put some of this money to some good use with going and meeting up in person, recording some stuff for Spongeon Electric, which is a thing that exists. Very soon. Hopefully, yes. Yeah, so thank you so much. Um, Simon, if people want to support us on Patreon, what can they do? What can they do? They can go to patreon.com forward slash the wikicast and they can pledge as either a member of Team Cat or Team Dog, which is a dollar a month. It's like a can of pop, a can of soda a month. And it means that we will keep doing episodes, basically, because it literally we're meeting the costs of the of the production. And if you are feeling particularly generous, you can sign up as a top cat or a top dog, depending on your choice of household pet. I am Team Cat, Dan is Team Dog. And every episode, if you're one of the top cats or top dogs we like to thank the top cats and top dogs and i will start by reading out the top cats i'd like to say a very big thank you to lord lewis bassingdale of annettsford and its surrounding provinces <laughs> isabella lexi at front desk's arch enemy james s anna reifer nathan flaherty the kyrene on caffeine simon p jack easton izzy cc naffy iftikar christopher betterton dame valerie the third layla medina will Jenis humphreys rents kirk oliver burghart cole mansfield and the one, the only, Dan Hanvey. And I'd like to say an enormous thank you to those wonderful, wonderful people who support at Top Dog Tier, the clear supreme pet of choice for this podcast. So thank you so much to Jay Wright, Ben McMurtry, Peter Reed, Codzo, Colin J. Brown, Lexi at Front Desk, Hasse Hansen, Henry VII, King of England and of France, Lord of Ireland, Aaron Jorgensen, Naf Laroque, Andrian with an N, Chan, Ben Caples, Martin Narciso, Christian from the Alps, Lexi at Front Desk's boss, Amy Bonney, Sophie, Carnav, and Dan Nelson. Thank you so much for your support. Top lad. And we find ourselves in Corin's Pondance Corner. And um, we just want to say, 
<laughs> this is a unique situation in the podcast. We we would like to address Bill Joe. Bill, we have your email. We have both read it. We both enjoyed reading it. Um, not sure that we want to read it out <laughs> to, to the readership. Uh, an email containing sentences such as, and I quote, Furthermore, you English sticks. <laughs> There's a lot going on here. We have read it. We have taken your criticism on board. I'd like to point out that I do know what an armadillo is. <laughs> I don't know where this this comes from. I, I, I've been in a couple of Flammable Maths videos, but I don't know which one that one is. I don't know if it was the Pictionary Challenge or something. I know what an armadillo is. <laughs> but um, yes, we have taken it on board. I agree. Galois is very interesting. And hopefully this has now created an email in the readership's heads that everyone's very curious about. <laughs> it's it's fascinating, and I loved it. Bill, I, I think it's great. <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I'm just not sure if we But yeah, maybe, maybe not one to disclose to the entire readership. <laughs> However, having said that, this is a, hey, talk about another brilliant segue, Simon. This is a second and final time, possibly, I'm probably going to say it again, on the podcast where this is a call to arms. Readers, we want to hear, we want two things from you. We want to hear your reviews of Barbie and Oppenheimer mm. or Barbenheimer, if that tickles your pickle. Yeah, if anyone did a double feature, let us know how it went. And also your favourite arcade games. They can be anything. They can be, a, it could be a modern arcade game. It could be something super retro. It could be a, I don't know, like I played when I was little with a hoop and a stick. You know, anything like that. It's absolutely fine. Um, but we, we really want to hear from you. Yeah. Our favourite part of the show is hearing from the audience. Yeah. Like we genuinely, we're not just saying that because we're on mic. Like it is our favourite part of doing this. With Like, you know, I, I said, this isn't a podcast we do for profit. This isn't something that I do technically as part of my job. It's something that we do because we like chatting with each other and we like yeah. the community that's built up around it. And so hearing from you guys in our inbox is our favourite thing. So really, please, if you if, if, if it's your first time emailing in, we just love hearing from you. So with all that being said, Dan, what did we learn today? Simon, so, mean, we learned about so many things, but chiefly, Up and Down is a video game developed and published by Sega. Mm. It was first released in 1983 as an arcade game. It was, and it sparked a discussion about arcade games and how we spent our youths. It did. We came across a really fascinating book, Game Sound, an Introduction to the History, Theory and Practice of Video Games, Music and Sound Design. Yes. Which I am totally with you. I think that's going to be a fascinating read. Yeah, we, we sort of had the deep philosophical discussion of, is everyone really like a game entrepreneur inside? Or do some people want to export baked beans to the Middle East? <laughs> and yes, Swedish Wikicast creators, I, if you're still listening, I know that you hate baked beans. And yes, that I'm, I'm stressing this point just to at you. <laughs> because when I met up with a Swedish Wikicast in real life, they were like, baked beans? What the f*** were you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> of the British people. I must admit, I've got to be on the, Dad, the no. Swedish Wikicast no. site here. I'm, no! not a be- I'm not a baked bean. I'm not a baked bean man. It's not. It doesn't really do it for me. I'll eat them if they're there, but I can't. I've. Ne- I don't think I've ever bought a tin of baked beans. How dare you! I know. Oh my god! I can't believe this treachery. <laughs> well, there you go. It's just baked beans. Just they lack a certain energy for me. Oh, it's here not, it is. It's not really what I. I mean, it's not really what I'm into. You know. <laughs> Baked beans are the Allen of, of the of the breakfast. Baked beans are the weird Barbie. That's that's what they are. Yeah, but everybody loves weird Barbie. Everyone has a weird Barbie. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Nobody oh, like gosh. you know, Alan's a much more polarizing figure. I still don't know why Alan was in the film. No. Tell you what, that's a thing you can email in. If it, your interpretation of Alan was Alan meant to be a, a male ally of feminism, 
what is the charge? A succulent Chinese meal? That's an amazing, there was an amazing moment in the film and I think there is a clip that you can see. It's not a spoiler, but Alan screams the word no when Ken has an accident. Do you remember this? Yes, yes. And it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> so many parts of that it's film. Like, you know, it's like witnessing a car crash, except it's nowhere near as sort of traumatic and, I don't know, severe, important... You know what it is? It's exactly the energy of Ross Hornby in one of the Hat Films, comp- like when they're playing Rocket League yes. and he thinks he scored yes. an own goal. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen the clip. I, I have know to- exactly what you're talking about. Being like, it's just a game. It's just a game. Fergus, I'll send it to you. Please put that <laughs> scream in the show now. Oh, no! <laughs> Jesus. It's all I am. It's all I am, porn. It's you saw some kid get hit by a car. <laughs> you don't understand the emotional trauma of scoring on goals. It's truly <laughs> strong. <laughs> they don't broke. You were yelling so hard. No! <laughs> it's like he's seen a child being run over in front of him. <laughs> like, yeah. And they're playing Rocket League, and they're like four goals to one up, and he's just like, no! <laughs> it's so. It's exactly the same energy. Ah, oh, amazing. I love it. Also, you need to watch those game grumps reacting to music made from their videos. Oh, I have. I've caught up with them. Oh, they're so good. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> the one that kills me every time is, it's the final egg! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So good, so good. That's all for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your podcasting service of choice. You can join the Discord, and if you'd like to see our faces, and specifically Dan's, check out our Instagram. Barbenheimer reviews, your favourite arcade games, and other thoughts on the show can be sent to us at spongyelectric at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Join us again for another tumble down the wiki rabbit hole, and we'll see you next time. This can't go in the podcast. <laughs> the, the end of that transition, as I, as I, I said, ah, oh, slick. And you went, yeah, slick. And there was a there was a, was a brief pause for about three seconds. And I've been holding it in for a while, but I, I really had to fart. <laughs> and I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure the fart that I left, let out, it sort of went, huh, huh. Sort of like a, uh-oh. <laughs> oh, no, we got to put that in. Oh, he's good. He's so good. Ooh, slick. Mm-hmm.